The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling, too. Grandma got ran over oh, by my reindeer. It's lovely weather for a sleigh ride. Walking home together. from our house Christmas Eve. I don't know if you believe in Santa. Comfy, cozy, as far as me and Grandpa, we What is happening? All right, should we go? Are we ready? Yeah, we are ready to rock. Well, welcome everyone. It's Medical Education Matters. I'm Michael Brown, and I'm here today with Anita Public Anderson, Jeff Amundsen, and Herodotus Ellenus. It is the gift giving season, and we are so excited to talk about some of the gifts related to medical education, caring, and character that we want to give this year. We're going to start out uh, lightning round style. And we start with some light gifts and we move into some things that are a little more philosophical and a little more serious. So um, let's just get started. I'm so excited to hear what gifts you all want to give this holiday season. Anita, you want to go first? Yeah, for sure. So my gift is the pause button. So press pause, Mm. take a breath, chill out. And I think the weather is going to help us do that this year. That's right. For for our listeners who aren't in the Midwest or in the Northeast, we are facing what could be a pretty serious blizzard here arriving like December 23rd. And then I don't know when it'll wrap up in the Northeast because it seems like it's going to just continue on out until it burns out in the Atlantic somewhere. Uh, again, I get my driveway shoveled off from the last one. <laughs> it's mandatory fun. <laughs> How much snow do you all have up in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin right now? How much on the ground? We have a bit. We have like, yeah, I don't know, I got five, like, seven inches, something like that. I got, I count, I measured nine the other day, and I think we got like at least one more last night. So we're at least up to about 10, where I'm, I'm a little bit uh, east of Wausau, about 30 miles. So believe it or not, that changes things a little bit. So, well, we, we can see the grass down here in Milwaukee, but I don't think that's going to be the case come Friday morning. So Anita is right. We'll definitely have, uh, with the cold temperatures too up here, it's pretty chilly. Uh, definitely time to chill out. Huh? So we're ready to get our uh, skis and go out for some cross-country skiing, right? As long as you have some sort of face covering to keep you from getting very serious frostbite. It'll be motivation okay. to go faster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It is supposed to be five degrees on Friday, the high, and negative oh. one, the low. Oh, beautiful. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Indeed. Jeff, give us a gift. What do you have? Well, I think on the lighter side, uh, to all emerging and current doctors, PhD or MD, a lesson in penmanship. Uh, I've noticed <laughs> uh, myself over the last few years, uh, the le- legibility of my writing has decreased and my ability to write in cursive to some degree has actually been lost. Um I actually tried to write the alphabet in cursive the other day just out of curiosity. And I really struggled with a lot of letters that I just haven't written in, in cursive in a long time. And I, I really couldn't do it. And uh, Anita and I were at a meet and greet on campus uh, what, last week or a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we have a new education coordinator, Mariah, and, and she uh, was formerly a third grade teacher. And so she, that's who we were meeting and greeting. And, uh, you know, we got on this topic of penmanship and, and how she started teaching 
kids at third grade to write penmanship. And uh, yeah, I, what I discovered is I can't write cursive as good as a third grader. I, you know, I think I'm gonna have to go. Thank goodness Mar- Mariah's around. I can get some lessons again. But yeah, I, I you know, learning, uh, learning some good penmanship skills. So I often take notes and I go back and look. And I'm like, what did I write? So yeah, that would maybe be one thing I'd like to to give. Plus, I've heard rumors that note taking is a is is a challenge uh, in the medical profession. So, uh, but I'll leave that to others to attest to. I really don't have any experience with that. My penmanship's been on the decline since third grade. <laughs> you know, I would argue that um, with the um, innovation technology, people take notes that can be changed or whatever you mm-hmm. want, like exchanged into a Word document. So you don't, mm-hmm. you can just use a little pad and write down whatever you want, and then it translates it to a Word document. So why would you need to have that penmanship? We can discuss that further down the road. Well, you know, I want to give a shout out to my third grade teacher, Ethel Zimmerman, who recently passed away. Uh, she's the one who taught me to write in cursive, which I despised every moment of. And the moment I was allowed to stop writing in cursive, I did so. I think that was probably in sixth grade. They stopped enforcing cursive writing. Herodotus, what gift do you have? So I would say the gift of listening. Most of us listen to music, to podcasts, to audiobooks. But I think in the healthcare um Overall, listening to our patients and their families is what makes us better healthcare providers. And and data support that history taking and empathetic communication are two critical pieces in patient-physician interactions. So I think that's an important gift. Do you think we can learn something by how we listen to podcasts or audiobooks and translate that into our interpersonal listening? Oh, maybe, maybe. How about you, Michael? What kind of gift are you giving? All right. So for my for my more fun, less serious gift, um, I, it actually touches right on what Jeff was saying. Pen and paper our learners. They have their computers in front of them and it's so tempting to just type all of your notes. But what research tells us is when you type your notes, you're not actually processing the information because for many of our students, I expect I know I fall in this camp. You can type pretty fast. You can get most of the words down that someone says. You don't have to think about the point that they're making in order to get it down on paper because you can't write uh, by hand as fast as the person speaks. So get off those computers. In fact, you'll notice this is a theme for me for all my gifts. Get off your computers, take your notes by hand, and then, and this is really key, later that day, type up your notes. Then you don't have to worry about what's legible or not, because you can probably figure out what you wrote later that day. But maybe if you're looking at it a week or two later, there might be some things you can't. And you actually remember more than you wrote down. You'll be able to add it to your typed up notes. And now you have an easy to read written record of what you learned in class. You've reviewed it when it's fresh in your mind. You're going to do you'll recall so much more. So get off those computers in class. Use pen and paper. And uh, I, I, th- I think you'll be, you'll be so grateful. You'll be writing me a thank you note for this suggestion. That's fantastic. And it's, it's interesting too, because it's a more serious note, pun intended there a little bit. Uh, you know, it's like eyewitness testimony, right? Like if you see an event, write it down right away. Cause otherwise it was to Michael's point, the, the retention of what actually experience what happened is going to be degraded over a period of time. And I think, 
What I see in all of these gifts so far is this sense of taking the time to do something. Um, and I just wanted to capitalize on Herodotus' point about listening. Uh, we, we conflate, I think, listening with hearing so often, right? And listening is an active process, taking the time to actively be engaged and hear what or listening to what the message is that's being sent to you. I, just, I think that's a really uh, important point. I, I even took a listening a course at UW Stout where I went to undergrad and um, that's where I really learned a lot about listening being a process, not just something that kind of naturally occurs like hearing does. So good on, good on that point. Yeah. That's awesome, Jeff, because you're the learning specialist, right? So they say. So they say, right? And here I am. I'm taking notes with a pencil. I miss pencils. Jeff, keep us going. Let's do a more serious round here. Let me roll down here a little bit. I just want to kind of have my cue here. Yeah. So when I started thinking more about like, what is it for myself? I guess I do. That's a tough about gift giving. Sometimes I think too much about what I might enjoy. And I thought, okay, what could others, you know, maybe enjoy that I enjoy too. And the psychological and physiological, excuse me, physical space. Uh, you know, I want to give that to everyone because I've recognized lately that I've lived with a wonderful person uh, who allows me to call her wife, Krista. And, uh, you know, there's times when I just need space, both physically and psychologically, to react, evaluate, and adapt to the, you know, life, whether it be something uh, with work or um, something more personal. Uh, Krista is a licensed K-12 teacher, so we talk a lot about education from the time we get up until the time we go to bed and, uh, you know, day in and day out. And, um, you know, we all struggle with thinking about things and and, and having that space to do it is, is really important. So, you know, reflecting as teachers do, you know, throughout the day about experiences we have with with uh, learning environments and individuals within those learning environments. Did I do the right thing at the right time for the right reason? Um, which is often, t- you know, difficult to do when you're tired and stressed, emotionally drained. So having the physical space to act and the psychological space to evaluate and reflect, I think is imperative uh, in uh, being an educator. Um, and I think just in life in general too, as we, as we all try to navigate uh, all of our experiences from day to day. So if I could give that to everybody, psychological and, and physical space to to just process, uh, you know, the enormity of, of things that are, are going on around us. Yeah, we need that time. We need that protection. And Jeff, I'm so glad to hear, you know, for you, that space can be at home because, of course, we know a lot of our listeners may not always be able to find that space at home. A lot of our learners may not have that. And sometimes that's for perfectly benign reasons. If you're uh, if you're a med student and you're living with three other roommates, people who you might absolutely adore, it doesn't mean that your space at home is always that quiet space that allows you to have that uh, have that time for reflection, that quiet that you need. It just may not not be something that you can find. Herodotus, give us another gift here. Yeah, so, you know, I- I applaud Jeff for the psychological and physical space. My gift is um, the one of trust as the Mm. stepping stone for success. Um, I just returned from a mission trip in Ecuador. And during that time, a team of uh, about 30 strangers got together in a foreign country uh, in a language that about 
three of them or four of them were fluent. Um, the rest of us were not. And we're able to provide care for 94 children with ophthalmological disorders. So I encourage others and I want them to get this gift because I think to do that, one has to build bridges and um, one to do that, one has to trust each other. So, so Radis, I got to ask, I think about this one a lot too. Um, how much of the ability to build trust is based on trusting someone isn't going to persecute you for a particular act as you try to build that trust. Does that make sense? Totally. And your, your point well taken. Um, I think in, in a world of liability, we have become more cautious on who and how we trust others. Whereas in a world of um, visiting and supporting care is different. So in Ecuador, we knew that all of our roles together were to provide support and promote care in this kid's lives and liability, persecution, mistakes were not on even on the same page book planet. Whereas in in a world that we live in, perhaps in the US or in a Western country, it's different. So um, I hear you. Yeah, and I th and I think it definitely has an impact on education. I think when uh, you know emerging physicians for those just starting out in, in medical school are trying on prior things that work in a different learning environment and maybe aren't working now, and you one tries to help by providing alternative strategies. There's that you know, can I trust? this person who's telling me to do it this way when I've had all the success doing it the other way and it's not working now kind of thing. So there's that trust is definitely something that's permeates a lot of uh, education. Yeah. And, and certainly um, starting by um, creating maybe the solid foundation of relationships yeah. is what allows for maybe building on that trust as you're right. moving up this ladder in, in this world we live in today, because I think it's in so many ways and in so many different domains that that piece can be um, a mistrust and construed as something else when right. in the underlying intent was not that. Right, which kind of leads into Michael. What uh, what what's your gift about? Yeah, first I want to share a brief anecdote. I got my hair cut a couple weeks ago, and is that I why always, you have a hat on? That's why I have a hat on. It was a, a disastrous uh, haircut. No, it's a beautiful haircut, and I always try to think of something that I want to talk to the person who cuts my hair about in advance. And uh, this time, I asked her about building a trusting relationship with the person getting their hair cut. Because it's something that a lot of professions have to do. You know, doctors have to do it. Uh, someone comes into the emergency room and you need to build that rapport very quickly to get them to, to trust and be able to accept care. And it's the same thing that people who cut hair have to do. They also have to, you know, build rapport, make conversation, et cetera. And she said, 
I think very similar to medical training, it's not something that they're taught. They're not, they're, they don't have sessions about like how to build trust, how to have conversations. Instead, it's something she said she picked up by watching mentors do it out on the floor. And then it was through her own experience. And she said in some ways it was about having the trust in herself that she knew what she was doing. She trusted herself to make the mm. cut the way that she needed to. She trusted herself to be able to have a conversation. And when she had that trust, she was able to really feel like she was doing well in her profession. So it was an interesting conversation. That's really interesting. Yeah. Try ask the person who cuts your hair if, if you have a, a professional who does it. Um, see what they say. My mom once accidentally got my ear and I have have always been from that point forward hard when people get around my ears with scissors <laughs> still to this day. So yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of trust that's required. Yeah. All right. So, so, so my gift, you're going to see a theme with mine. I said, uh, you know, I like mm -hmm. a lot of our colleagues. I work from home 95% of the time. I don't have reason to be in person for almost anything that I do. I'm not a clinical provider, so I don't need to be seeing patients. I'm not doing any classroom education. Uh, so I don't have those opportunities to interact with people in person. And the gift that I want to give to everyone who is like me working from home I just want to give permission for everyone to step away from your screen sometimes, even if as you step away, you feel like, oh, no, now I'm not working because I'm not staring at a screen. There are so many things you can do off of a screen, including getting out some pencil and paper and taking notes or writing down your thoughts and ideas. If you have a problem to solve that you're stuck on, try going to take a walk, even if that walk is just around your house, because there's a blizzard outside, and you don't know what else to do. Uh, even that act of slowly pacing that kind of meditative walking, you can work through a problem in your head, and figure out what you need to do. The idea that we are only valuable when we're staring at a screen, that that's the only time we are quote unquote working, I think is really, really detrimental, both to our, our mental health, staring at a screen all day and feeling trapped like that and to our physical health, not standing up, not moving around, not doing those things. Those are only bad for us. So I want to give everyone working from home or who spends a lot of time on a computer, the permission to step away from the screen and find other ways to be productive and make contributions. And that goes back to Herodotus' point about trust. I often hear people and, you know, with, now a lot of people working more remote than we have in the past it's well how do we know they're working at home how do they know we're getting things done and 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 i even individuals have said well i'm worried that they're going to think i'm not working and i'm like well are you not working well no <laughs> i'm working i'm like so there's it, it's so ingrained right that we that we're, we even doubt ourselves <laughs> we don't trust ourselves to to be able to handle this more remote situation so yeah here both of you and Herodotus loud and clear in, in this gift about, yes, you can be thinking about something while you're doing something else and that's still working. 100%. Mm -hmm. Anita, yeah. take us out here. So, okay. So this is, this has been such a really interesting discussion going from pencils to haircuts to trust. And um, what, what I wrote is to, was that we as educators in medicine are, are sharing and giving of ourselves, like, and there's a purpose behind that. Like our, our intention is, um, true, you know, that there, that 
we can be trusted to um, take care of your medical education. So, um, and coming from that place. So I, I feel like that is, that is a gift that um, any of us involved in education um, from K through 12 or, you know, in the, in the hospital or in Ecuador or, you know, in the classroom or skills and learning or whatever, that we have things to share and to give that um, they're just like little, little gifts that, that are well-intended. Well, and it sounds like providing psychological and physical space for safety. That's something our educators are tasked with doing. And I think so often do so well to make the classroom that kind of space. And then Anita, as you noted, it fits right with Herodotus talking about trust and having that trust that the the people who are guiding us through our educational journey are there for the right reasons and are doing their best to do the right thing at the right mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I think that's hard for some, for, um, I think that's almost a leap, you know, and um, to, to, to trust in, in, uh, I don't know, the, the process. There's so, yeah, and well, and it's, there's so much competition involved in, in a lot of cases. And there's also this sense of, I have to be able to do it on my own, or I'm, I'm not as capable, you know, all that kind of stuff that kind of undermines our ability to, to, to share with one another and give of each other and, and, and realize it's not a weakness. It's, it's a strength. Yeah. Well, and, and certainly you, you brought that up both Anita and Jeff, you talked about competition and it's the mistrust perhaps that we've created in our society is, is a key to how we, um, form our professional identity it's you you know i realized that when i first came to the country that it was a challenge it was not anymore about competing with myself it was competing with everybody else and competing in a way that was i would say cutthroat it was either i will you know, have to compete in order to survive. And I think the trust is challenging. The psychological and physical space, the sharing and giving are all pieces. Unless we put them all together, it becomes this mistrust and um, challenge to promote a healthy environment. So, so like just in, in my profession in OB-GYN, it's like you don't, they say that, you know, people don't like women don't like walk around talking about like, oh, my gosh, I love my IUD. I'm having the most amazing experience with it. They don't talk about what's working. You mm. hear about the you hear about the, you know, the black box warnings and like somebody had this problem. And so like and that's what you kind of latch on to. So if you're hearing reports and like shared social media of you know, whatever minority small thing that can happen, you don't always hear about what's good and, and uh, what you got that's going on. That's like really working. So yeah, that's my gift. Sharing, sharing is caring. Yeah. It's, it's good to have more of that psychological safety and the the trust in others. We can talk about those good things about those uh, happy moments without feeling like we're vulnerable in some way. Let's do one more round of gift giving. Herodotus, why don't you get us started this round? 
So we talk a little bit more in the philosophical or deepest gifts, perhaps. And I would say that my gift in this category is of curiosity and the assumption of benevolence of others. Um, you know, I work in the clinical domain. I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist and people in the hospital know that I have a countdown on my phone for Christmas. It starts on the day after Christmas and it cuts down all year long. I sing Christmas songs all year long. And they ask me whether it's my favorite holiday. And my reply is kind of yes and no. It's not that I, I adore Christmas. I love the holiday season because people consider others in a caring and a giving way. And then people ask me, well, shouldn't that be the norm? And I, I laugh because I turn around and I say, have you looked around you lately? Is it really the norm all year long? No. So um, again, wouldn't it be nice if we consider the caring and the compassion and giving all year round? So so caring, curiosity, assumption of benevolence. So those will be my um, my gifts in this category. So Herodotus, like it used to be in the OR, the anesthesiologist was the um, was the DJ. So do you play Christmas music all year round too? I I played off my phone or I sing. So those are the I sing to the kids um, <laughs> all the time, and I make lyrics up. My children know that I make lyrics up. So That's they're awesome. never the I love it. same. So, um, yeah. So I think the funniest thing was one day I, I walked through the door in the house and I was singing one of the songs, made up lyrics. And my youngest, who is 21, finished my sentence based on the made up lyrics. So I thought that was fun. Love it. Fantastic. All right. So first off, I want to ground myself in where I'm at here. I am not a social media user, but I am a social media trier and then ultimately a social media quitter. So it was back in 2010. I had joined Facebook in 2004 when it came to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And in 2010, I quit Facebook. I thought for sure everyone was going to be quitting Facebook. I don't remember what outrage I had at the time that led me to quit. Of course, I was completely wrong. Tons of more people went on to join Facebook. Facebook is still around 12 years later. Uh, but that pattern is essentially the same. I've tried so many other platforms and quit them. Um, so here's the platform I want to talk about today. For those of you who follow any technology news or, or heck, any news at all, you know that uh, who was formerly the world's richest man purchased Twitter uh, after a court was about to force him to purchase it. And since then, he has he has led Twitter in a completely bizarre way. I'm not even going to say this person's name because I don't think he he deserves the attention. Here's what I want to say to everyone who is using Twitter to have conversations about medical education. It's my understanding that Twitter is seen as a vibrant place to have med ed conversations. I think those conversations are too important to have on a platform that is riddled with hate speech that is known as a place where especially women uh, get harassed or worse, threatened uh, with, with all kinds of horrible acts and a platform that basically says there's nothing we can do to stop these people. Uh, these medical education conversations are too important to put them on a platform where hate speech is rampant. So what I want to say is let's 
find a different platform. Let's find a platform where there's more control over these things, where the conversations can come to the forefront and be inviting places for everyone to participate. A platform that can provide the psychological safety needed for these conversations to flourish uh, so that our medical students can join those conversations without feeling like their their psychological safety is threatened. Um, we need a new platform. Mastodon, that's one of the platforms that people have been talking about. Maybe that's an alternative. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a technology person like that. But uh, let's find a new platform for these important conversations. Yeah, I mean, how much of that do you think is the result of, uh, it seems like we could control it as the ones using it, that there would be this level of expectation that all of us would be able to say, hey, no, 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 we're not going to talk like that here. We don't we don't need an oversight. We don't need authority telling us what to do. We can, you know, regulate ourselves, so to speak. I've always wondered about that with kind of any, any social interaction for that matter. I mean, I think about the uh, birthday party. My wife had her 50th birthday party this past weekend, and it was really, you know, we were, we were in one room, and then there was another birthday party going on in the other in the other room, and and uh, it was interesting. Those coming from the other room were kept, you know, they kept uh, peering into what we were doing, and and we were like, oh, join us. That's you know, be we want you to be included. But then one person got a little a little overzealous, we'll say it that way, and and so they had to be. Uh, asked to take a time out, uh, leave the room for a little bit, and uh, so I, you know, I wonder if there's opportunity for that to 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 be done on. A, I don't I don't use Twitter or anything like that myself, so I really have no sense of how those who are using it regulate each other. But yeah, that's the first thought that comes to mind. So maybe again, going back to some of the points we've been making here about having the opportunity to share with each other in, in a realm that's uh, regulated by us. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'm a little bit unsure of what to make of innovation because I think innovation is created by humans and humans don't always have the best intent. So I, I would say that on its fundamental principle, the social media and communication and the ability to transmit um, information that is relevant is great, but in the hands of the wrong persons, it becomes a weapon. And how do we make that a good part? And how do we censor it? And is censorship a good thing or a bad thing? So that's, again, another conversation that makes it extremely difficult to make those decisions. And um, whether our podcast is a good podcast or someone else's podcast that uh, has slander or has um, whatever else messages right. that are for our children, for our families, for gender uh, inequities, for disparities, and so on. So, so it's a challenge. I welcome that conversation more. I, I would like to have it more on this podcast or or elsewhere. I think it's an an important and interesting one to have in debate. But let's move on. Anita, what's your final gift for us? Okay, so the joker on my house is um, hashtag blessed because I have three teenagers and we are just so hashtag blessed all the time with um, their their blessings. So I have like pillows and 
you know, various Chatskis that say hashtag blessed around the house and my kids roll their eyes. So I, I have, I have love and gratitude and um, appreciation for my family, for my friends, for my colleagues, like you guys, um, for the ability to, um, to just share and be part of this world. That's that's fantastic. I I totally with you on that. I I I wake up every day. Our home faces the south, and the sun comes up through the trees. And it's just, it's hard not to say I'm blessed. And 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 uh, yeah, having the kids, you know, teenagers, been there, done that myself. So, um, the blessings come in many kinds of packages. Yeah, they do. And it's like, I mean, my husband and I just sort of roll our eyes sometimes too. Like, seriously, that just happened. (laughs) But um, yeah, and it's, but it's all good. Like it's um, right. It really is. It's all, it's all good. And, you know, I, I'm on the planet, you know, I got another, I got another, you know, lap around the sun to, to um, appreciate it's really, it's like real. Yeah, I just want to recognize we've all been teenagers, so I think it's important that those who are in the audience who are maybe a bit younger to recognize that we've all been there. And uh, this is just, I think, the uh, process of life as we age, giving us the opportunity to reflect on, oh, yeah, so that's what mom and dad meant when I was a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> We we were never this difficult. I'm, oh I'm, no no oh yes okay. oh, no, man. we were all angels. <laughs> Speak with for horns. yourself, Michael. I say <laughs> I say angels with horns and a tail. <laughs> yes, Jeff. How about you? We're we're coming down to the end. What's your gift? Philosophical gift? Well, yeah, you know this. It, for me, uh, it's a time. Um, ultimately, in my in my mind, that's all we really have. Uh, is it, is it, it's the most valuable resource, the most precious gift that we're given. And, and um, you know, I think that's what Anita was just touching on too, was this idea of, wow, I'm, I'm here, I'm with others and it's amazing. And um, all the things we've touched on today, right? Writing takes time, taking good notes takes time, looking away from the screen takes time and reflecting, adapting, evaluating all the thing that we call life. Um, and what I've discovered over the years too is just taking the time to make the time right. That's the that's the that's the the, the trick. And, and I think for me, it's been more emphasized as I spent the like say the last three months uh, planning my wife's fiftieth surprise birthday party, and it and it went off wonderfully. And it was just a process that really has me thinking about time and how it's limited, uh, and, and that. Uh, when I look around and see some of my friends who are not going to uh, be with me this holiday season and um, because they've passed on and, and just the age at which a lot of people around me have been um, transitioning to, to the next phase, so to speak, is just really made me go, wow, um, yeah, what am I complaining about? What am I frustrated about when in reality the big picture looks pretty bright um, because I'm here I'm with each of you right now, and and this is this is time well spent for me. And I think ultimately, at the end of the day, is what I'm asking myself: Did I spend my time well? Um, and I think uh, being able to to be here with my wife on her fiftieth and uh, 
see others be there with her was just a reflection of that most recently for me. So, so yeah, if I could give everybody more time, uh, especially the time to take the time, you know, and make the time is, is what I'd like to give. And then hopefully people kind of back to the top, what the need is like hit that pause button. Well, it makes me think of a question I often ask myself when I'm trying to de- decide, okay, what's the next thing that I'm going to tackle? What's the next task that I have? And I say, well, what is the most fulfilling way that I could spend these next 30 minutes or hour? And I, f- I find that allows you the, the opportunity to take the time to reflect on what it is you have to do, and then ultimately to spend the time in a way that has, uh, has value and meaning. It's I'd much rather determine what I do that way than say, what's the latest demand on me? What's the latest pressing thing that I absolutely must get done now? Get away from planning, settle down. Yeah. And be hashtag blessed. I think hashtag blessed, uh, man. That's right. Yeah. Well, everyone, thanks so much for taking the time here today to talk about our gifts. And thanks to all of our listeners. Um you are the reason that we're here. You know, we, we know some of you, but most of you we don't know. But we're so grateful for you spending this time with us. Uh, we wish for everyone a happy holiday season, a safe end of the year. We talked about the blizzard that's coming. Hopefully everyone can stay safe, even if doing some traveling. Uh, and, a, and a happy new year, a beautiful start to 2023 for everyone. So I'm Michael Brown here on behalf of Anita Bublik Anderson, Herodotus Alanis, and Jeff Amundsen. Thanks so much for listening and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Be well. Happy holidays. <laughs>